Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's coming to you from the Flamingo Hotel in Vegas. Had a nice little weekend here. Uh, unfortunately, I had to shave my beard, which I'm, I'm not saying it's the best beard in the world, but I, I enjoy having a beard versus not having one. Uh, beard trimmer has broke. I'm back-to-back vacations. Not running hot in the beard trimmer game, but that's okay because we have tons to catch up on NFL Free Agency. It is just me today, solo pod edition. I love Dwayne McFarlane. We have not broken up as work people, co-hosts, whatever the hell you want to call us. I just do not trust, unfortunately, uh, the hotel Wi-Fi to actually stream someone in. So Dwayne will be back on Thursday this week. We're going to do what we did before Free Agency and go through all 32 teams. So for any reason, my analysis is lacking. If I'm just forgetting something that is right there in front of me, Dwayne will be back on Thursday to help me see through all the flaws in life and mostly fantasy football. So with that, let's get going, everyone. When we came to you on Friday, Dwayne and I thought, hey, let's cover our bases. We'll talk about, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson going to the Saints or the Buccaneers, or, or excuse me, the Saints or the Falcons, because there's no possible way with all these reports you could be going anywhere else. And, of course, Deshaun Watson ends up being a member of the Cleveland Browns, as we have seen. So I know this happened, you know, quite uh, some time. I don't know if it feels like forever ago at this point. But similar rationale, honestly. We all know Deshaun Watson, all the off-the-field stuff aside, is a top-five fantasy quarterback and most likely a top-five real-life quarterback as well. Top-ten real-life if you want to, you know, be stingy about it. But basically... History of the NFL, only Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert have averaged more fantasy points per game than Watson. So we still need to see what's going to happen with the suspension. But Cleveland, I mean, they give you a better situation than either the Saints or Falcons really did. You still have a number one receiver in Amari Cooper. I think we have more actually, you know, especially considering once the Browns use a high round pick or so on a, on a wide receiver, you know, you're looking at two, hopefully two good uh, wide receivers in that offense, along with David Njoku, along with Harrison Bryant. Amazing. The best run game probably in the NFL and anyone's idea of a top five offensive line. So everything that is going on in Cleveland on the field is fantastic for Watson's fantasy stock. If we can get away from the sus- suspension completely, he'll be a top five fantasy uh, quarterback that we're drafting. If we can't, he's still going to be someone that we're probably going to want to take, you know, around spot 10 to 15, uh, just because as this is why we use points per game instead of overall ranks in fantasy land, because when he is out there, he's going to be a difference maker. So with that aside, we can get back to, you know, some of the lesser uh, league shifting news, I guess uh, you could say. going to share my screen here, all you YouTubers out there. We also provide live video these days on Spotify. So got to love that as well. And let's get after everyone. So, yeah, last time we talked, I was uh, actually – it was right before the Watson thing happened on Friday. I think the Cole Beasley getting cut news was the last. So all the stuff I'm going to go over basically clears us up from then to now as I record this at 1 p.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. in Las Vegas, West Coast. So yesterday, Matt Ryan was traded from the Falcons to the Colts. Fantastic news, in my opinion, for Michael Pittman, who has been my pick for those keeping track as the third year breakout, getting more volume and hopefully a better version of the offense. The last four years, we've seen this be Chris Godwin first with Tampa Bay, then Calvin Ridley with the Falcons, and then Deontay Johnson with the Steelers. So I really think Michael Pittman moving forward could be that third year receiver that we've seen flash and now all of a sudden has a chance for more targets. 
T.Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal have taken their talents elsewhere. And unlike those other guys, but at least, you know, we'll take it for Pittman. He actually also has a higher ceiling now because of the quarterback play. So Carson Wentz last year was not good. He also wasn't one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. That's why when we were talking about him getting traded to Washington, it was a positive for Terry McLaurin. Wentz was better objectively than Taylor Heineke last year, as was Matt Ryan better than Carson Wentz. So pick a stat, pretty much any stat. Yards per attempt went to Matt Ryan. PFF passing grade went to Matt Ryan. Adjusted completion rate went to Matt Ryan. And this was with all the shit that Ryan had to deal with in Atlanta, that offensive line and everything. So I believe Matt Ryan had the fifth highest PFF passing grade from a clean pocket last year. Did not see a physical drop off by any stretch. The problem with Matt Ryan last year was that he had Kyle Pitts and Russell Gage to throw to, and that was basically it. So going to Indy, I'm not expecting Matt Ryan to all of a sudden, you know, pull a 2016 on us and go absolutely bonkers. I don't think the Colts are going to throw the ball enough for that to happen, but just having Matt Ryan in that offense, it helps Pittman a ton. It helps Jonathan Taylor a ton. Now we don't need to be as concerned about the Colts having like one negative game script after another. That was a large reason why Jonathan Taylor was so good last year. Naeem Hines is signed down. Like he is their pass down back, but it doesn't really matter when I believe what the Colts had, like the third highest point differential in the entire AFC. So even though they didn't make the playoffs, this was truly a top 10 team last year in terms of just them beating down on opponents and having Matt Ryan over Sam Ellinger, whoever the hell they were going to end up getting some rookie. Maybe they could have gotten Baker or Jimmy G, but I don't just take Matt Ryan over those dudes as well. So great news for the real-life Colts. Great news for Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman's fantasy stock. Not so great news for the Falcons. Uh, looks like it will be Marcus Mariota. We'll talk about him a little more in a sec, but yes, losing Matt Ryan, obviously bad news for the Falcons. And it's just it's the type of way he plays too because we've talked about the kind of things that mobile quarterbacks do for themselves. And fantasy, but not so much for their teammates. So uh, I think just uh, when you look at when you just look at uh, Matt Ryan and him being a statue quarterback, being someone that's going to dunk it down, check it down, and not actually going through and taking off and scrambling. It's like we say with Trey Lance in San Francisco. Trey Lance is great for Trey Lance's fantasy stock, probably not for everyone else. So it is good news for the Colts, not so much for the Falcons. And let's now pick up with Marcus Mario, the Falcons' new starting QB. It's a two-year deal. Apparently, it's more of a one-year deal. So, Mariota, we've only seen him in one extended game uh, over the past two years. He didn't even start. It was a Thursday night game, Raiders versus the Chargers in 2020. Carr got hurt, like, really early on in the game. And Mariota came in and balled, people. 226 yards passing, one touchdown on a B-E-A. Beautiful uh, stroke down the sideline to Darren Waller for, like, a 30-yard score. And he, you know, ran the ball nine times for 88 yards and a score. We've always known Mariota has that kind of dual threat ability. He just didn't really utilize it quite enough in Tennessee for him to ever be too much of a fantasy difference maker. So I think we'll see. A good game here or there for Mariota from a fantasy perspective. But just like Matt Ryan was just in, there's so little that I think Mariota can do to overcome this largely abysmal situation. Who the hell is the Falcons' number one receiver right now? And if you say Cordero Patterson, you're damn right. But he is mostly going to be sticking to running back alongside Mike Davis, Damian Williams in the group. Kyle Pitts, I think, is a good to very good player already at this point in his career. This guy is still a 22-year-old um, by week one next season. So. 
it's one of those things where Mariota, I think he's there like with the Trubiskys of the world. I'd probably still take Trubisky over Mariota this year, uh, to be honest with you. But he's a quarterback that's more so going to be a streamer, you know, late round super flex two QB guy. I don't think we need to really worry about him too much in traditional redraft leagues. Hey, maybe the Waller, you know, game is a good sign for Kyle Pitts, though. I would note that they do play the position awfully differently. Yeah, they're both receiving first tight ends, but Darren Waller actually plays more in line like a traditional tight end. That's why I was so upset. Not really upset, you know, fantasy football upset, which is always still a pretty good uh, state of mind to be in when Kyle Pitts was on pace to break Dicka's record, essentially playing a different position. So Kyle Pitts, I don't think his fantasy stock really changes all that much. If you want to move him down a spot, that's okay. But I'll pull up Dwayne's handy dandy fantasy football ranks. I'll have my best ball ranks out next week. So don't think I'm just going to be skirting off of Dwayne's for the entire offseason. But yeah, if you wanted to move Pitts down one behind Darren Waller, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't because Pitts still is his offense is just undisputed number one pass game option. I think those targets are so valuable that even going from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota, I still think that top tier Andrews Kelsey Pitts is in the right order. Saints re-signed famous Jameis Winston two-year, I believe $28 million contract. I firmly believe that the NFL is a better place when Jameis Winston is a starting quarterback somewhere. Just realized 2020 Jameis was not quite as fun as, you know, the Buccaneers Jameis that we grew to love, particularly from a fantasy perspective. So Jameis last year, QB three in week one, unlike 20 pass attempts, that wild Packers game where he threw five touchdowns and it looked like the Saints were a bunch of world beaters. Other than that, though, guys, it just wasn't a good year for Jameis from a fantasy perspective they weren't letting him throw the ball like his pass attempts per game were right down there you know at the bottom of the league jimmy g level um of just limiting Jameis winston and what he was able to do in this offense so after that qb3 finish qb26 qb25 qb26 got another qb5 in there and then two more finishes of qb15 or lower so with Jameis, it's one of those things where if they unleash him they let him throw the ball to his heart's desire he'll probably put up some numbers but even then, everyone, I mean, I came to this conclusion last offseason where I actually wanted uh, Taysom to win the job over Jameis. Not so because uh, I thought Taysom was a better real-life quarterback, but at least with Taysom, I was confident enough that we would have Alvin Kamara and Taysom as high-end fantasy factors. Probably Michael Thomas, too, to be fair. I mean, Taysom had multiple 100-yard games miraculously uh, with Michael Thomas in that four uh, – during his uh, short stint under center back in 2020. So the thing that I kind of concluded, though, Jameis's overall career fantasy goodness has been overrated. If you just look at him, yeah, he had the great season in 2019, the QB8 in fantasy points per game. Before that, though, 2018, Jameis, QB15 in fantasy points per game. 2017, QB18. 2016, QB20. And 2015, QB19. So maybe that, you know, LASIK change he made before last year is just going to be the complete difference. But again, last year wasn't exactly ideal as well. So I think uh, overall, Jameis, more fun real-life quarterback than fantasy darling. He doesn't run that much. And if you're not running, like if you're, if you're not running, because think about it, like Ryan Tannehill, like we're looking at like a less fun version of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is Jameis Winston. I know they don't play the position the same, but hey, Jimmy, Jimmy and Jameis both make a lot of mistakes. So I'm starting to come around uh, on this argument a little bit as I talk it through it. But Jameis doesn't run and he's in an offense that's not going to let him be a freaking the gunslinger that he was born uh, to be. So I do think Jameis, again, 
you can make a late round case for basically any of these quarterbacks because you're not spending any sort of real draft capital on them. But I don't anticipate, you know, being all in on Jameis as the Saints starter. It is great news, though, for Michael Thomas having, you know, someone that can actually throw the ball deep. Um, I did look in the past, you know, is Michael Thomas success only due to only on slants? No, he was a top 30 receiver, I believe, in every single route that he qualified as, you know, having enough uh, instances of doing so. So, yeah, the underneath stuff was better than the deep stuff. Guess what? When you're catching balls from Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, and Taysom Hill, I think it makes sense that you'd be featured more in the short areas of the field. So, right now, Michael Thomas, Deontay Hardy, not Harris anymore, uh, looking at wide receiver. I would kind of expect a similar game plan, though, with that low volume ahead in 2022. Alma Kamara is back. I know Sean Payton's gone, but the rest of the coaching staff pretty much uh, retained. So, uh, something to keep in mind with Jameis. A lot of fun in the past. I'm not so sure we're getting that same guy in the year 2022. Finally, with a quarterback, Browns traded Case Keenum to the Bills. Okay, he's now going to be the backup for Josh Allen in place of Mitch Trubisky. And instead of paying Keenum, what was actually a pretty hefty backup uh, salary, they went ahead and signed Jacoby Brissett, former Colts, Patriots, most recently Dolphins backup. Jacoby's fine. He'll make one or two throws a game where you're actually like, holy crap. I mean, that was awesome. But he holds the ball an awfully long time, takes a lot of sacks, and just doesn't really give you a bunch of upside. So I think Jacoby is capable of winning half his games when he's out there, which is kind of all you can ask from a backup QB. But no, he's not going to be someone that we're going to be interested in fantasy land while, you know, if and when Deshaun Watson is suspended. Moving on to running back. Buccaneers re-signed the artist known as Lombardi Lenny. Great thing for me to wake up to this morning because Lenny is really freaking good, guys, at least in terms of getting the freaking volume, which is all we really care, care about in fantasy football land anyway. So, you know, last year, Leonard Fournette was a freaking baller, everyone, and it was due to both that volume and what he did with it. So most expected PPR fantasy points per game. Now, this is not, you know, realized. This is based on your targets and your carries. Who was projected, if everyone was the exact same player in the same offense, who would have the most points based on that volume? Number one was Derrick Henry. That's what 30 freaking carries per game pretty much will do for you. Number two, Najee Harris, all those targets. Number three, Alvin Kamara, kind of a mixture of both those. And number four, Leonard Fournette. Hey, you know, you freaking lead all running backs and receptions is going to be pretty good for the fantasy business. And for realized PPR points per game, number one, Derrick Henry, number two, Jonathan Taylor, number three, Austin Eckler, and number four, once again, Leonard Fournette. So a top four running back, both in his workload and his actual PPR points per game last season, Leonard Fournette. And, you know, I, I said it before, kind of this all started that Leonard Fournette would be a first in the firmly in the first round conversation um, in fantasy land when we would be looking at him back in Tampa Bay. A lot of you, you know, PFF fantasy football Twitter trolls are quick to say something, but just looking at the potential for him to catch all these passes, score a bunch more touchdowns in the league reigning number two offense. You could not have asked for a better scenario for Fournette to come back into. And this is after we got that Patriots scare. So I will say Fournette, Visiting the Patriots, probably worse news for Ramondre Stevenson than Damian Harris because Stevenson has been the guy that we were, you know, you've kind of seen the Patriots dabble with a little more in passing situations. He's been up and down a little bit with it. So the fact that they were even looking to bring in another guy to not only steal early down work, but also more pass game stuff. Um, I, I just don't, I don't see the overwhelming love for Ramondre Stevenson. If he's going to be priced as like the RB40 or something, fine. I, I don't care at that point. But anyone that's going to be trying to treat him as this, you know, borderline RB2, just too many mouths to feed in the Patriots offense that 
maybe they'll be as dominant as they were last year, but I could also see them passing more. Defense maybe isn't quite as good. And we get a situation where James White and Ty Montgomery are on the field far more than people would prefer. After Leonard, uh, real quick before that, let's see actually where he kind of falls in the running back landscape. Because again, I just think it's going to be hard based on all that volume to put too many guys ahead of him. Jonathan Taylor, McCaffrey, Eckler, absolutely. Derrick Henry, sure. After that is where it gets interesting. I really think Fournette could slide in as the RB5. Najee Harris, like Najee basically has the same role as Leonard Fournette. I just showed you. They were number two and number four in expected PPR points per game. Which offense do we want to invest in? The Steelers or the Buccaneers? Do we trust Trubisky over Tom Brady? I don't think so. I'm thinking Leonard Fournette, RB5, everyone. So Alvin Kamara might have a word with that. You know, James Conner has a massive workload. Dalvin Cook, I know we're used to putting him up there. I think there's enough concerns with his legal situation. And I, again, we're not, this is not an injury prone, uh, friendly podcast. We do not usually believe in that. But based on those shoulder injuries that Dalvin keeps experiencing, Learning doctors have been indicating that that could be an ongoing issue. Seahawks went ahead and re-signed Rashad Penny. There's no place like home. I've gone through the list of, you know, high priced running backs leaving their team in free agency and just kind of how dismal they tend to be. The fact that Penny came back to Seattle, just like Fournette going back to Tampa Bay, was always his best case outcome. So with, uh, you know, Penny and just everything he was able to do in that back half of the year, it was impressive, guys. So really with uh, Rashad Penny. As I try to find my notes for Rashad Penny, I think um, the one thing to really remember is that he never really had a chance to be healthy. And that was more so kind of the big drawback to Penny over the years. It wasn't like he was going out there and just absolutely busting time and time again. He averaged over five yards per carry as a rookie. It's just been a trouble to stay on the field. But if you look at what he was able to do last year, my God, nobody averaged more yards per carry at 6.3. Nobody averaged more yards after contact per carry at 4.5. Absolutely spectacular stuff. And he backed it up with some truly impressive film down the stretch. The problem, Again, 37 of potential 65 regular season games since entering the league in 2018. He's also never caught even 10 passes in a season. It's looking more and more like my guy Drew Locke's going to be under center in Seattle. Maybe fun for red zone viewers, not so fun for Seahawks fans, and maybe not so fun for Rashad Penny fantasy managers as well. It does seem like Chris Carson is trending towards a return. I think it's such a run first offense that Penny could still be seeing, you know, 15 plus touches per game, even with Carson in the picture. With that said, it's a situation where we're looking at probably a somewhat split backfield. The last time Carson and Penny were together, I believe it was late 2019. It was only two games, but they split that right down the middle. Look, they like Penny at the end of the last year. 17, 13, 17, 27, and 23 touches in his final five games. But they love Chris Carson, too, and that's why they signed him in the first place. That's why they're working through him with this neck injury. So right now, at this moment, I'd absolutely take Penny over Carson because of that neck injury. But the answer might go ahead and just be no between these guys because if they both stay healthy, we're looking at a split backfield with you know minimal pass, pass down upside, I think, for both guys when it's being split this way. And it's in an offense that, you know, the Seahawks finish, you know, 30th in scoring next year. I don't think anyone's really going to bat an eye. So passing game still will be going through Metcalf and Locke at first and foremost. Maybe Noah Fant, maybe Will Disley. Why the hell not? Uh, Seattle just not really an offense that I'm actively looking to invest in. Fantasy land, uh, maybe Penny does overcome it, though. We'll see. Carson's out of the picture. Penny gets a lot more interesting. Right now, I think he's more, uh, more so going to be one of those running backs in the dead zone that I will probably be letting someone else draft in favor of a dope wide receiver. 
Falcons re-signed Cordero Patterson. No place like home. Good way for them to kind of show that, hey, the last week wasn't all for nothing. But yeah, getting CPAT back, this was always his best case situation as well. And I'll tell you what, if his, you know, ADP isn't really going to change from being this like, you know, low end RB36, RB40 he is right now. Yeah, we're going to be back in on Cordero Patterson. I just think that, you know, what, what he's able to do in this offense, just getting fed the ball time and time again, uh, in re- both as a rusher and a receiver. It's hard to really uh, just be anything but about pleased about it. And this is, you know, coming from the president of the Cordero Patterson fan club. I just think that we finally have the situation, a team that gave him over 200 touches. Before last year, he never even had 90 touches in a season, not including returns, obviously. So 1,154 total yards, 11 touchdowns last year. Cordero Patterson, RB1, wide receiver one, whatever you want to call him. The guy is truly an offensive weapon. So I do think Patterson. It's better if you can get him as an RB3. We want to get every single player in the league cheaper if we can. Uh, but I just think that with him going back to this situation, with them losing more and more offensive weapons, maybe we don't get 11 touchdowns again, but I still think that it's enough of uh, a workload for him to still return potentially uh, some good RB2 value. So is he going to – It's. I don't want him to kind of be in that dead zone area that Penny's in because if he does go too high, we're not going to be signing up. There's a lot of similarities to the Seahawks offense that I was just saying we should be staying away from and this Falcons offense. So the difference is Patterson has a more fantasy-friendly receiving role that we can maybe wrap our minds around. We have less injury concerns there. You know, CPAT's someone where, hey, he sprained his ankle against the Cowboys and he managed to play through it. Not that effectively, but play through it uh, regardless two weeks later and throughout the rest of the year. Patterson in Atlanta, slightly better for me than Penny in Seattle. Uh, but at the end of the day, if the, both their prices are getting high enough, I might go ahead and just be taking my shots at wide receiver at that point in the draft. Bills signed Duke Johnson, another one of my personal favorites. Why do I love Duke Johnson? Because the U's all-time leading rusher has always been one of the best running backs in the league on a yards-per-touch basis. Now, he's just been kind of pigeonholed into his scat-back role in Cleveland and then in Houston because of, oh, Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien, who nobody seems to trust anything they say about football over the years until, for some reason, it comes to Duke Johnson, who once again led the freaking Miami Hurricanes all-time in career rushing yards. We're, we're going to believe that Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien are saying, yeah, Duke's a scat back. He can't run on all three downs. Absolutely ridiculous. And Duke was fantastic down the stretch with the Dolphins last year. Is he someone to really invest in fantasy football? Absolutely not, unfortunately. It pains me. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Duke absolutely balls out this year. But Devin Singletary, honestly, I think just loses here more than anything. He's still going to be number one running back in Buffalo, but at the same time, Duke will be taking some of the pass down work. Zach Moss seemingly really out of the picture, but I'm just not, I'm just not convinced that in a Buffalo Bills backfield, we have barely like literally the last kind of seven, eight games from Devin Singletary last year. We saw uh, some legitimate high end fancy goodness out of him. That's pretty much it in the Josh Allen era. Like that dude is running as much as Michael Vick um, really ever did. And that's what, you know, Dwayne and I were talking about a few weeks ago. So if it was only Devin Singletary, which it still could be. Like, who knows if Duke Johnson is even on the roster in week one? I know they kind of signed him after missing out on JD McKissick, uh, but we'll see. So I think Singletary is still someone where if you see his price dropping too much, uh, I'd probably be more willing to get behind him than potentially Penny or Patterson. Like, Penny and Patterson. 
I don't, we, we know they're not going to be in like a legit high end NFL offense. So Singletary has that working for him. I also think that if we look at these rosters and everyone stays healthy, uh, you could also argue that Singletary is just in the position to see the most overall touches. Some quick hitters at running back. Giants went ahead and signed Matt Breida. He's just going to be this distant backup. I wouldn't actually expect him to have much of a uh, usable fantasy role. Still should be the Saquon Barkley show pending a trade or anything like that. Uh, Eagles went ahead and re-signed Boston Scott. Chill, Kenneth Gamewell, truthers. I, I, I see people do this time and time again. These rookies, they fall in love with. They end up being a late-round pick. They... Don't do all that great in the NFL and people just continue to hold on to their prospect evaluation. So maybe game was fine. I didn't hate him what he did last year, but you know who didn't really like him last year? The Philadelphia Eagles. Look who's all back coaching for the Philadelphia Eagles. Everyone. They don't love Kenneth Gamewell. That's why they played Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Jordan freaking Howard ahead of this guy. So to me, Boston Scott just tells, tells me do not touch Kenneth Gamewell because his own team doesn't want to touch Kenneth Gamewell. Raiders went ahead and signed Amir Abdullah. I saw this popping up in the news. I thought we might have talked about this already, but just real quickly, big concern about Josh Jacobs is getting that pass down work. We know he can do it. He's looked good throughout his really, really entire career catching the ball, uh, but with Amir Abdullah there and Brandon Bolden, who would not matter on 30 teams in the NFL. The two teams he does, though, the Patriots and the team that has his longtime 10-year offensive coordinator, um, Josh McDaniels, also on the Raiders, unfortunately. So Abdullah and Bolden might be out there on the field far more than folks are hoping for Josh Jacobs. And oh yeah, Kenyon Drake's coming back as well because he got his contract restructured. So maybe the Raiders are just his top 10 scoring offense. Jacobs, you know, Damon Harris is his way, like, you know, into the end zone 15 or so times. That is a possibility. I just think that, you know, his touch count when it's all said and done, uh, going to be closer to 200 and 300, and it's going to be far more early down work than the fantasy friendly target share. Titans also re-signed Doncho Hilliard. Hate this. I, he's going to play ahead of Derrick Henry on pass downs. And there were legit times last year. I'm, we all saw the you know Super Bowl, Joe Mixon not out there on fourth down. That happened to Titans a couple times earlier in the year. Not in the Super Bowl. I would like to think that they wouldn't have made uh, that same mistake. But they do this, that they don't keep Derrick Henry on the field and pass first situations because they just don't. He's not in their uh, plans for it. So Doncho Hilliard is going to be the pass down back in Tennessee probably the preferred handcuff to Derrick Henry um, at this point. You know, if it's, if Henry's going to go down, as we saw last year, you know, Deontay Foreman did his best kind of middle, lower middle-class man's version of Derrick Henry, but just with having a pass down back like Hilliard and the way they want to use him, I think it's going to be a committee in Tennessee uh, should anyone go down. I would note that uh, losing Abdullah, though, from the Raiders, sorry, going backwards, Abdullah choosing to go to the Raiders instead of staying with the uh, Carolina Panthers. That is great news for the guy I just mentioned, Deontay Foreman, because Chuba Hubbard last year was not being used in the pass game. He just wasn't really effective at all. And so for Foreman to go out there and fetch, I believe that $3 million over one year, Deontay Foreman is suddenly someone in the later round of drafts I think we can take a chance on because, hey, if, you, if you're if you one of those people that are just not going you know, to take Christian McCaffrey, you know, the top half of the first round because he'll get hurt again, maybe you should be paying attention to Deontay Foreman because he's probably going to be the guy that steps up should CMC not be able to stay healthy once again. Thanks as always for sticking it with the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Moving right along to wide receiver, artist known as Bobby Trees, Robert Woods, traded to the Titans, now set to be, you know, the Robin to AJ Brown's Batman. First of all, 
great news for Allen Robinson. Now we don't have to worry about him as much being, you know, this number three pass game option in his own offense. Now the clear cut number two, we can actually start to creep him up more and more towards, uh, I think, that wide receiver two borderline. So um, with that in mind, you know, look, we obviously everything's going to continue to go through uh, Cooper Cup, but Allen Robinson, I think when you start to kind of get into the group of your Mike Williams, your Jerry Judy's, your Corlin Sutton's, Devontae Smith's, um, other guys that are in somewhat crowded offenses where they might not get the full featured number one workload or number one and more of a run first offense, that's where Allen Robinson can fall. So my lovely co-host Dwayne McFarlane has A-Rob as his wide receiver 26 at the moment. That is a spot I, um, yeah, I support best quarterback of his career by far. We don't need to list all those guys again, but great news for Allen Robinson with this Robert Woods trade. It's not so great for Robert Woods. I mean, yeah, maybe he gets that Corey Davis role, but they're different receivers. I mean, Bobby Trees, I think what he brings to the table is more yak ability and also just, you know, the ability to block. Like that was the big difference in that Rams offense. And I believe it was uh, Benjamin Solik at the ringer, him or Steven Ruiz. Both guys are uh, fantastic, but apologies uh, for mixing it up. Anyway, they were talking about kind of extra things that Cup had to do as a blocker to replace everything that Woods uh, brought to the table. So he is going to be 30 uh, here pretty soon. I don't think Woods is someone that we need to really overly reach on in fantasy land. It might drop A.J. Brown down a spot or two, but more than anything, I think this just helps Ryan Tannehill. I mean, this is the guy that we should probably be looking at as a potential late-round darling. I mean, Tannehill, what he's been able to do really all throughout his time in Tennessee, I think it's been going a little bit under the radar. 2019, QB 10 in fantasy points per game. 2020, QB 12. 2021, yeah, it fell off. Still the QB 15. So, you know, I get it. He's not like the sexiest late-round quarterback to draft, but you really have a nice floor with Tannehill. And I think, once again, he's going to be standing out as a quarterback where, hey, we like A.J. Brown. We... We'll see how much we like Robert Woods. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up in the top 36 or so. We like Derrick Henry. Maybe we like Austin Hooper. Maybe we should be looking a little bit closer uh, at that quarterback. So I think Woods, better real-life option than fantasy. Someone that's probably, you know, better treated in that wide receiver four conversation. Guys like Gabriel Davis, Russell Gage, Corey Davis himself. I'd probably take those guys ahead of Robert Woods, honestly, but I think that's about his tier. And again, A.J. Brown still firmly a wide receiver one in real life and fantasy land. Chiefs went ahead and signed Juju Smith-Schuster. This is a great real-life signing, and it also now leaves that, you know, big hole in the Pittsburgh Steelers um, slot receiver. Uh, just, you know, they're starting slot receiver. We'll see how they end up filling that. But with Kansas City now, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, still the undisputed top two dogs. I don't, I would not change anything about their ranks. Really, I think Juju is just the final nail in the coffin for the potential meet Colt Hardman era. They might end up canceling each other out. I mean, Demarcus Robinson is out there taking visits. Uh, Byron Pringle signed with the Bears. So three wide receiver sets could very well be Tyreek, Juju, and Mecole Hardman. I just think that Juju, like he's going to overlap far too much in the underneath areas of the field for him and Mecole to both simultaneously have big years. I'd lean towards Juju uh, over Mecole, I mean, at this point, but honestly, the answer might just be uh, no. I mean, we've seen kind of time and time again in Kansas City, one receiver after another. Sammy Watkins, you know, huge week one and then disappearing for uh, the rest of the year like he's always done throughout his career. It's just a thing where it's not that Mahomes can't enable a number two wide receiver. He has been. Kelsey and Hill go absolutely bonkers every single year, and there just hasn't really been enough meat left on the bone for someone else. So uh, you got to look at Clyde Edwards-Lair maybe getting more involved in the passing game. Uh, you know, Josh Gordon's there. Like, I just – 
I don't think Juju is probably going to have the target volume to do anything close to what we saw in Pittsburgh. Like, yeah, he was awesome earlier in his career, but he also looked like a different athlete uh, in terms of what he was doing after the catch. And the big thing is, like, he's just not going to touch these target totals. 166 targets in 2018. Like, he's not going to come close to that. Maybe. I don't think he comes close to the 128 targets he got in 2020 either. So Juju, I think he's going to have to make the most out of 90 to 100 targets. And hey, he's in the offense to make the most out of a limited opportunity. Uh, at the end of the day, though, he's just going to be someone where, like if he's going up against a Corey Davis or, I mean, that's a bad example. I guess the Jets are a little muddled. If he, All right. Someone like a Darno Mooney, Brandon Cooks, where we know they are the number one options in their passing games. You got to take them ahead of Juju eight days of the week. Cowboys signed James Washington. Probably not a super usable role. A lot of the things I said about Juju being the clear cut number three, you know, at best pass game option also apply to Washington. He's honestly probably behind each of CD Gallup and Dalton Schultz, but I, I'm not giving up on James Washington. I think he has flashed occasionally a lot of times in the preseason. This dude has had to play with Mason Rudolph for like eight years, going back to Oklahoma State and then into Pittsburgh. And then when he finally gets a chance to start, he's playing, you know, with Ben Roethlisberger's corpse under center. So James Washington is interesting. I think that he could be a good sign that the Cowboys are going to feature C.D. Lamb in the slot this year because Washington... They moved him around a little bit in Pittsburgh, uh, but I think of him at least more so as an outside receiver. You got him and Gallup lining up out wide, slide CD into the slot. It might not really matter. I mean, the Cowboys last year were really kind of stingy on it, so that's why I'm uh, wondering if it is uh, going to be that way. I mean, Cedric Wilson would only play the slot. So, like, if there was a situation where they, they would have CD in the slot with Cooper and Gallup out wide, but then Gallup got hurt, they wouldn't just sub Cedric in for Gallup. They would actually move CD outside and then put Cedric um, into the slot where CD Lamb was playing. As Cowboys fans kind of saw in the playoff game, a lot of frustration about CD and Cooper not being as involved as Cedric and Dalton Schultz. You know, I just think the way Kellen Moore's offense works, they are going to be feeding the ball into the slot, into the inside parts of the field uh, more times than they are looking to throw outside the numbers. And that's good news for uh, CeeDee Lamb's fantasy stock. So James Washington, I think he's a solid like boomer bust wide receiver four, wide receiver five candidate. And he's one of these guys where we need to see kind of where the ADP starts to fall in best ball. But if he's going to be priced like outside, side the top 60 receivers or something like that which is possible we could be looking at a starting member of their league's reigning number one ranked scoring offense available for you know a fraction of where i think uh you know someone else that we just didn't have a couple years of evidence of him not being that great uh wouldn't necessarily be going like james washington would be going outside the top 60 but if the cowboys drafted you know one of your favorite prospects in the second or third round, I'm sure people would be having him, you know, 20 spots ahead, regardless of if that player in the year 2022 is actually better than James Washington. Bill signed Jameson Crowder, seemingly putting an end to the Isaiah McKenzie uh, slot, starting slot wide receiver dream. We'll see. It was only for $4 million, I believe. Crowder is, is solid. He's always been solid. And that's why uh, it was kind of, I thought, insulting that the Jets not exactly knocking on the door in terms of, you know, overspending uh, their salary cap these days, uh, forcing them to take a pay cut to even remain with the team last year. So Crowder, I would think they kind of do more so what they're doing at the end of last year, which was rotating Cole Beasley with um, Isaiah McKenzie down the stretch. You know, they did bring back McKenzie, obviously, on a multi-year deal as well. So I think Crowder and McKenzie will ultimately cancel each other out, mostly this is great news for Gabriel Davis. It's looking more and more like it's going to be Diggs and Gabriel Davis, one-two punch. And why not? What more do you need to see? The guy can go for 200 yards and four touchdowns in the freaking playoffs. 
Oh my goodness. So yeah, I think if anything, you know, we still gotta get past the draft, but the fact that the Bills gone through free agency and that wide receiver, they got rid of Beasley, they signed McKenzie to a small deal and they signed Crowder to a small deal. Maybe they go, you know, try to draft a Drake London or Jameson Williams or someone, uh, you know, come April. But as things stand right now, Gabriel Davis is becoming more and more worthy of legit top 36 treatment in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. A few more. Pretty meaningless wide receiver transactions. Eagles signed Zach Pascal, Colts wide receiver. Very solid. He's not going to do anything in fantasy. Devontae Smith is the only guy that we need to carry about, carry about in fantasy land in Philly. And this is the this is a great sign though for him. So seemingly Pascal, you know, he's going to be taking either Jalen Rager or probably Rager's spot. Quez Watkins was objectively better uh, than Rager last year. Maybe he mixes in. Either way, this is the type of, you know, low cost, like just we're not adding a first round pick here. This is not Calvin Ridley entering the offense because there's just, there's no available opportunities to even go around in Philly, literally dead last in available targets at the wide receiver uh, position. I think, I think they even might've brought back Greg Ward. Like no one really left. Now I'm not saying that Pascal or someone else can't come in and beat out some of the incumbent guys behind Devonte. I get it. The bar is not super high, but if we were going to add someone like Calvin Ridley to the offense, Great news for Jalen Hurts, not so much uh, for Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. I do anticipate them to once again be one of the league's more run-first offenses. It's good that Devontae is still, you know, the locked-in, undisputed number one wide receiver in Philly. Jaguars went ahead and re-signed Laquan Trebwell. He's going to fight for snaps on the outside. You know, we got Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault, and now Laquan Trebwell all vying for opportunity. I don't think, you know, credit to Trebwell for finally putting some good uh, film out there in 2021. Took long enough, but I don't think he's going to be anyone that we're going to be looking at in fantasy land. Same thing with the Steelers signing, you know, kick returner extraordinaire, also technically a wide receiver, Gunnar Olskruski. I really got to improve my names. Sorry, Gunner. Former, I believe, all-pro kick returner for the Patriots. They, there is an opening in Pittsburgh in the slot. I mean, James Washington is gone. Juju's gone. Even Ray Ray McLeod went to San Francisco. So maybe Gunner becomes a slot receiver. I don't really think so. If anything, maybe we actually see a few more two tight end sets, Zach Gentry and Pat Frymuth uh, doing their thing. So if anything, the Steelers kind of general reluctance to add another big time wide receiver to the offense is great news for Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Obviously not expecting Mitch Trubisky to put up that big of numbers, but hey, if we have Najee, Frymuth, Claypool, and Deontay there, like not saying all those guys are going to ball out. Like Claypool's not going to be a top 20 receiver necessarily or anything like that. I think one of him or Deontay will be, and the other one uh, most likely will be outside of it. Either way, we can try to parse through this a lot easier than if they would have gone out and made a big splash, which they still could, but so far, so good. Chiefs also signed Corey Coleman, athletic spark freak from the past. Uh, Baylor, you know, wasn't able to get his career going with the Browns, and then started to do a thing or two with the Giants. Unfortunately, got hurt, and now is latching on with the Chiefs. Just a good long-term, uh, you know, just uh, not long-term, but just kind of a good dart to throw, I think, if you're Kansas City. Certainly wouldn't expect him to be fantasy relevant in the year 2022. Five more signs to go through at tight end, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Chargers went ahead and signed Gerald Everett. Not great. He could get what Jared Cook got, which was, I believe, 85 targets in the clear-cut number four pass game option behind Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. As a late-round dart, that's fine. Just don't get too excited. He is going to be splitting targets, routes, snaps alike with Donald Parham, who's back in business. And that's like the worst tight end that we're going to be splitting stuff with. And we've talked about in Denver. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, 
come on in Hamilton or something. Denver signed a block for his tight end. That was perfect for Alberto. And I apologize for forgetting his name right now. We've seen this throughout free agency where a team brings back just a complete block for his tight end. That's the sort of tight end committee. We can kind of wrap our minds around. Not so much when the other guy is Donald Parham, who is basically more of a wide receiver that they call a tight end in the first place. So Everett, you know, going the chargers, he's, he's an upgrade over 35 year old Jared cook. Maybe he does bust for, you know, nine or 10 touchdowns with Justin Herbert under center. Uh, but you're playing a dangerous game. You're really hoping that, you know, if you're going to treat Everett as anything close to a top 12 tight end, you're basically going to be sacrificing 20, 30 targets versus some of these other guys. So Everett, he's right there. This late round tight end group is looking great, everyone. If you want to put him inside the top 20, I won't necessarily disagree with you. Uh, ultimately, though, he's not someone I think we need to exactly be chasing uh, in anywhere near the mid-early rounds of fantasy drafts. Packers, we signed Robert Tunyon. They're just... Nowhere to really look in this Green Bay offense and expect targets to go. Maybe they all go back to Robert Tunyon, just two years removed from the 11 touchdown year. It wasn't exactly going off in 2021. I'm not saying he needs to be thrown back into the top 10 by any stretch of the imagination. My God, Devontae Adams out of the picture. Packers really haven't gone out and made many any splash moves at wide receiver other than getting rid of Devontae Adams. Obviously, I know there's still some big names out there. Not done. Free agency isn't over. They could trade and draft, but Robert Tunyon is looking at the potential to have the biggest role of his career with Aaron Rodgers under center. We know the guy can score double-digit touchdowns. Now, there is a good chance that 2020 was the best year of Robert Tunyon's career, but taking Adams out of the picture gives him new life. And look, if we're looking at someone like Robert Tunyon, versus Gerald Everett, versus our next guy, Austin Hooper, I'll probably take the one that just has the better chance of being a legit top three option in their own passing game. So Robert Tunyon someone that I really hope doesn't get slept on because, yeah, everyone won the yellow touchdown regression uh, last year, and it was going that way. I'm not trying to say that 2020 was shaping out to be the best thing ever, but I feel like sometimes like these players have great years, and it's almost like used against them. Like, oh, Robert Tunyon is never going to catch double-digit touchdowns again. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Aaron Rodgers under center certainly helps in uh, him being back in the most familiar offense and the only offense he's ever been in also certainly helps. Titans signed Austin Hooper from the Browns. This is good for both parties involved. Now with the Browns, David Njoku, once again, in that late round uh, tight end conversation, probably even worthy of, you know, mid kind of that tight end 14 to 15 range. I've seen some people already throw Njoku in as a tight end one. I'm just too worried about uh, Harrison Bryant, honestly, maybe splitting things between them. But at least taking Hooper out of the picture uh, um, objectively makes Njoku a better fantasy dart throw this year. Why the hell not, people? Uh, with Hooper in Tennessee, though, they have brought back Jeff Swain. We got to see what happens with Anthony Ferkser, some of these other guys uh, going on, too, that are still unrestricted free agents. Tentatively, though, Hooper should be the tight end one in Tennessee. It's a role that we've seen plenty of production go to as a whole, not so much to one player because they've just used, like the Browns, consistently three tight ends over the years. So Hooper is someone that maybe, 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 uh, if we see that week one snap rate just booming, we can get behind. I mean, it's not like he went to Cleveland and just like he busted compared to his contract because they used him with David Njoku and Harrison Bryant. Like there was only a couple times where Austin Hooper was even playing like 80% or more of the offensive snaps. Why was he given such a big contract to not even be a full-time player? I have no idea, but he's still only 27 years old. We saw what he could do in Matt Ryan in Atlanta. I mean, I think Ryan Tannehill is capable of enabling more than one, uh, you know, fantasy relevant receiver. If he gets a little more pass game volume, Similar to, uh, you know, I think the 
point I made with McCaffrey earlier, where if you're out on McCaffrey and think he's going to get hurt, you should be looking at Deontay Foreman. If you think Derrick Henry is just, you know, too old, you know, too many miles on the you know tires for this, and he's not going to be able to stand up throughout the whole year. Maybe he should be looking a little bit closer at the Ryan Tannehills, Robert Woods, Austin Hoopers of the world. Dolphins re-signed Durham Smythe. Just, you know, Mike Tosicki actually broke the news on Twitter. They seem, seem like they're uh, really good buddies, which was pretty funny uh, to see. But yeah, this is best case for Tosicki. It's someone that does play in line ahead of Mike, but it's someone that we've also seen the offense have no problem with featuring behind Tosicki in the passing game. So Durham Smythe, you know, coming back into the offense. No, he's not going to be a fantasy relevant guy, but I do think it's good news uh, for Tosicki relative to like if they would have brought in Gerald Everett or like more of a pure pass catch into the equation and finally Raiders went ahead and signed Jacob Hollister seemingly to work as their number three tight end behind Darren Waller and Foster Moreau maybe he competes with Moreau I don't really think so either way Darren Waller is absolutely fine and that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys hanging here with me. Just checking the news. Oh, man, it's Malik Willis Pro Bowl bomb day. I hate these Pro Bowls. They show the quarterback making the same damn throw where he, you know, rolls out, boots to his left, and then just uncorks one like 70 yards downfield with not a single hand anywhere near to him and with a wide receiver that doesn't have corners. So, I don't know. Like, it's just he can throw the ball long. That's great. I'm happy they can throw the ball deep. Uh, just the Pro Bowl, like not the, I was saying Pro Bowl, Pro Days. Either way, come on. We How many games do we have with this guy? Who cares about the Pro Day? If you want to go and get medicals and shit, that's fine. But like, why are we obsessing over clips when we have Malik Willis doing bonkers stuff against actual like college competition inside of an actual game? That's the thing with like the senior bowl too. I think the senior bowl gets overrated. Like, yeah, it's a cool opportunity. I think, you know, companies send these guys and these analysts and they go there and they want to kind of make something out of every drill and all this. And I'm not saying we haven't found some gems over the year. I know Cooper cups, a good example of, Hey, Rams saw that he was actually faster on the field than his 40 time, uh, man. And that's why they were more comfortable taking him in the draft where they did. I just think that we should be, you know, it's fine to be a piece of the puzzle. I'm, I'm team never ignore, uh, information. Like let's sort through it and try to, you know, weight it appropriately, um, and see how, uh, you know, significant it is based on, uh, you know, history and anything we can do to check that. Uh, but the fact that we just, I think it's March, you know, so we're going to obsess about pro days and we're obsessed about the combine. We're obsessed about the senior bowl. We're obsessed about a lot of things that aren't actual 11 on 11 live football uh that isn't just you know um kind of bowl game where people are half just trying not to get hurt as well so yeah good for malik willis but you know i don't want to hear people saying like oh after that pro day my god let's move him up uh move him up the ranks now do you see that throw he made uh, against air like that was incredible um yeah so now that i got that off my chest we can go ahead and close out this edition Thank you all for tuning in again. I know sometimes uh, might not be the best uh, listening experience uh, for you all when it's just me going solo, a little harder to break up the breathing and all that, but appreciate you tuning in. I'll be back with my trusty co-host, Dwayne McFarlane on Thursday and beyond. We'll get Nathan Yonke, Kevin Cole, the whole PFF fantasy crew back in action. I invite you guys, if you know, you weren't able to catch 
all these podcasts. I did come out with an article uh, today. Actually, that's just 12 fantasy football takeaways from 2022 NFL free agency. I've updated the PFF fantasy tracker, uh, you know, throughout all of last week. Not so much early um, this week, but letting Vegas get to me a little bit, trying to have a good time, everyone. Uh, but with that said, you know, I really did take time to go through the most fantasy relevant things uh, yesterday and got those uh, 12 big takeaways. So a lot of them are actually talking about multiple players. So a little bit under 5,000 words, but I think if you have, you know, been missing out on some of the stuff going on, that'd be a good way to catch you up. And like I said, we'll be back uh, Thursday going through each and every NFL team. That one's probably going to be two, hell, maybe even three hours. I don't know. I love talking football. Not going to apologize for that. So thanks again for tuning in. My name's Ian. And until next time, take care, everybody.